Guys, welcome to church, by the way. If, if you're new or new-ish to Grace City, Portland, very, very welcome to you. I hope you find this to be an experience where you can really just be yourself. We always say our, our strap line, as it were, as a church is that we exist so that anyone might experience truth, grace, and ultimately new life in Jesus Christ. But I just want to emphasize that it's, it's for anyone, meaning wherever you're coming from, whatever you believe or perhaps don't believe, um, please be yourself, explore with us together, get to know Jesus in the context of community because it's the best way for it to be done. Um, if things are said this morning that you're like, I don't understand that or I don't agree with that, uh, process that in conversation. Really do your best to go out of your way to meet someone if someone reaches out to you. Swap info, um, get to know some people because that's, that's, that's where it gets good. That's where it gets real. That's where it's fun. Fair enough? Yeah. All right, if you brought a Bible, go ahead and grab it or turn it on. You're very welcome to grab one of our NIV paperbacks. Uh, we've got a few in the boxes in either one of the central aisles here as well. We're gonna go to Mark chapter 14 and pick up where we left off. We've been working our way through the book of Mark or the gospel according to Mark. And we're getting towards the end. This this is all building up to cross and resurrection. This morning we're going to do 14, chapter 14, verses 43, all the way up through verse 72. We will sort of summarize a bit of a chunk in the middle because that is a massive amount of text. But here we go. Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 43. And immediately... While he, that is Jesus, was still speaking in the garden of Gethsemane, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. Verse 45, and When he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But the one who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut his ear off. And Jesus said to them, have you come out against, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching You did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. Verse 51. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Weird. Verse 53. And they led Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests, And the elders and the scribes came together, and Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. Now at this point, I'll just summarize. Uh, This is where Jesus now stands, quote-unquote, on trial. It's it's a fake trial, to be sure. Uh, Accusations are made, accusers come forward, lies are told. It's, It's a farce. But he stands there and just receives accusation upon accusation upon accusation, and he doesn't retaliate. He just stands there. In the meantime, 
Peter, who followed him at a distance, who had made his way into the courtyard, verse 66, says, and as Peter was below in the courtyard while this was happening, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. I've titled this message. I don't normally do, but I've done this time. I've titled this message, Walking the Lonely Road. Up until this point, uh, Jesus, for the last few years, has been walking with his disciples, his friends. They've been ministering together. They've been uh, traversing the region together, healing people, teaching, preaching the gospel, casting out demons, doing all sorts of things, facing angry, violent crowds, overcoming situations and obstacles, but they've been doing it together. He's had his band of disciples with him all along. But now... After a long night of anguish, praying in the garden, Jesus is finishing the last leg of his journey alone. Alone. He's betrayed by Judas. He's disregarded by his disciples, and I'll explain that in a second. He's abandoned ultimately by all of his friends and ultimately he's rejected by Peter his, uh, his top guy three times nonetheless betrayed by Judas everyone saw that coming no big shock Jesus himself was arguably well prepared for the moment still not cool but he was disregarded by his disciples, meaning, and I, I think I've read this passage a countless number of times, haven't quite caught this, but in the moment of, I don't know, in, in, in the, the moment where it perhaps counted the most, Jesus' disciples, one in particular, most of us know it's Peter, decides to draw the sword and lunge at the servant of the high priest and cut his ear off. Now think about this for a second. For the last three plus years, Jesus has been teaching a message over and over and over again. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. If your enemy strikes you on one cheek, turn the other overcome evil, not with evil, but by doing good. 
Not by cursing, but by blessing. Love. This is the essence of my kingdom, and this is how the kingdom of darkness will be overthrown. And all of Jesus' disciples said, thank you, my love. (laughs) Amen. And now in the moment of truth, Jesus is being arrested. It's all culminating. It's the penultimate hour on his way to the cross. And he's being arrested. He's being taken captive by force. And what does his top disciple do? Utterly, utterly disregard everything that he had been taught by his rabbi for the last three plus years. Betrayal is never nice. But to invest three plus years of your life pouring out everything you've got, teaching your disciples the way that his kingdom is to be done. What do they do? They pull out the sword and cut off the ear. That's a hard moment. Of course, ultimately he is abandoned by all of his friends. Um, Even the young man wearing nothing but the linen cloth. Who is this guy? (laughs) Who is this guy? You can read the commentaries, which I've done. The, the general consensus, and it's, it's really nothing more than just a theory, is that it was perhaps Mark himself. Some commentators argue that it, it may have been like some of the um, I don't know, medieval painters would like paint themselves into the crowd, and that would be their way of like putting a little secret signature in. So they say perhaps it was Mark. Perhaps this is... Uh, the gospel writer's way of just saying, hey, it's, it's me. I was there. And they, they say actually the linen cloth would have been what a young Jewish man would have slept in. And so some commentators uh, speculate that perhaps, perhaps this young man, perhaps it was Mark, perhaps he was sleeping nearby, somewhere uh, near to the garden, and he would have heard the, the noise and he just jumped out of bed to see what was going on. Next thing he knows, he's being caught up in this arrest. And so he runs. I have a theory myself. Um, and it's not just for fun. I think it's actually quite significant. I think, I think this young man wearing the linen cloth, I think, I think he was an angel. I think he was an And I'll tell you why. Uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 5. This is the very end of the gospel. This is post-death. This is post-resurrection. This is what it said. Uh, The women coming to um, add uh, the the, the anointment or the the herbs, the the things to the the burial cloth in the tomb. They go, they find the, the entryway of the tomb open. They enter in. They said, in entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side of the tomb, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. Now, my theory is no more uh, or no less speculative than the commentators. But I, 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 think it was, I think it was an angel. And the reason why I think that's significant is because in this moment, when Jesus is being abandoned 
by his disciples, betrayed, disregarded, abandoned. Not only is he left by his human friends, but the angels that were ministering to him previously in the garden, now even they are leaving him behind. This is a moment of utter loneliness. You can do with that what you will. Of course, finally, and perhaps this is the most painful bit of all, he is rejected by Peter three times. It, it wouldn't perhaps be quite as unbearable, unthinkable, if all of that happened, but if at least Jesus knew that his disciples were still with him from a distance. Sure, they ran away in the moment because they freaked out. Sure, Peter drew the sword and he hacked off the, the, the kid's ear, but I mean, let's not be too hard on him. It was, it was a tense moment and, and he sort of, he lost it. And they all ran. And even the young man in the white cloth took off because they were all afraid, apparently. But now in the high priest's courtyard, he can see Peter standing by. In fact, if you read Luke's account of the, the moment, it says that after Peter had denied him the third time, Jesus actually turned and looked at Peter. And when they made eye contact, Peter broke down. In that moment, Jesus wasn't just abandoned by his terrified friends trying to escape arrest. His top disciple, arguably his best friend, within an earshot, within eye contact, heard him say, I don't even know this guy. Could you imagine? Have you ever been in a room where you overhear someone saying something about you, but they didn't realize that you were standing right next to them? Have you ever felt that sort of betrayal? That's a deep pain. That is deep pain. Have you ever been that person to say something about someone you actually care about not realizing they're in the room? Jesus is now walking alone. Have you been there? Are you there now? To be sure, we sang it this morning, in fact, to be sure, to be a son or daughter in the family of God is to never be alone again. In fact, I, I would, as strongly as I can, make the point that as a church family, if, if there are people who are rubbing up against our little community here, getting a glimpse, a taste, if you will, and leaving here feeling like they were never even noticed, feeling just as alone as they felt when they walked in, then we're doing something terribly wrong as a church. We're failing. Part of being the family of God is like, like Jacob said, like we're, we're home. We host, we love, we welcome in. Mikasa es su casa. Because that's what the gospel does. We get adopted. Everyone is, is, is welcome home. 
That's what Jesus has done for us. And yet, there are seasons, moments, maybe long seasons in life where, where we do have moments where we walk alone. In fact, as we read this part of the story, very sad, hard, difficult, dark part of the story, Jesus isn't walking alone because somehow uh, he's taken a wrong turn. He's come out of the garden de- determined to trust his father, to submit his will to his father's will because he knows that this, this is the way to go. This is his father's plan. And so he's obeying God, and now he's walking this lonely road. And guys, no matter how good of a community we may be as a church, no matter how well we're loving each other, there will be a moment in all of our lives where we, we walk alone. It's a human phenomenon, for, for one. It's not just like this religious thing. It's something that every one of us for sure has experienced, is experienced, or will experience at one point in our human lives. The feeling of just being alone. You can sit in a room like this right now, surrounded by people, having just spent three minutes chatting, shaking hands, being smiled at, and sit down still feeling completely alone. Like I could disappear right now and no one would probably even notice. That's sort of loneliness of the soul. It's not true. Thank you, thank you. This was really just about me. I just need you guys to make me feel better. (laughs) That's true. There's another kind of loneliness, and I would say it's, I would call it the, the loneliness a leader will face. Everyone in here is called to influence others. I would, and I'll say it this way. Everyone in here will influence others, for better or for worse. In that respect, we're all leaders. Some of you in here, I suspect, will lead and influence others in some very, very unique ways. Some of you in here may become leaders in your workplace, CEOs. You may found an organization. You may find yourself leading the charge out front, bearing weight, being the one, carrying the vision when no one else seems to get it. That, that's, that's called leadership loneliness. Some of you in here may actually be a part of our very first church plant as Grace City. You know, that's like part of our vision. We planted this church. Um, I remember talking about it. And some of you even came up to me and said, like, really? We're going to plant a church? We've not even, like, planted ourselves yet. No, absolutely. Like, we want to be a, because um, I, I, I just think that, like, healthy things reproduce fruit, right? And I always thought, how amazing would it be if, as a church, we could, uh, we could equip people, empower people to lead in their own right and, and perhaps plant more healthy, Jesus-centered communities in other parts of the city, of the world. Someone's gonna lead that. It could be you. Some of you in here, I know for a fact some of you in here are or are becoming campus missionaries. What's up, Ashley? Kennedy, I'm talking to you too. 
And you're going to go onto a campus and you're going to try to share the gospel with people who maybe don't want to hear it. And you're going to share the gospel with some people who are desperate to hear it. And you're going to lead them to Jesus and it's going to be amazing. And you're going to lead the charge. And you're going to find yourself at times, perhaps even for seasons, feeling like, man, does anyone else get this? Is anyone else with me? Does anyone else even care? Because I'm feeling really, really lonely on this campus right now. I've, I've been there. I've done that many, many, many times. You want to know one of my loneliest moments as a leader, as the pastor of this church? It's Monday morning. It's Monday morning. There is no, there's not a lonelier feeling than waking up on a Monday morning having preached a bomb the day before. Mm. So real. (laughs) I'm going to have a good morning tomorrow morning. I'm just saying it out loud right now. (laughs) It's a lonely, it's a lonely place to be. And then there's, there's the Jesus followers lonely road. This is the lonely road of simply following Jesus. I mentioned this last week, but there's something paradoxical about when we're reading through the Gospels and we're watching Jesus model for us, this is what it looks like to walk in a relationship with God as Father. He's filled with the Spirit and he begins to like live a human life in a way that exemplifies for us, this is what it looks like. This is how we We walk together following God, getting to know him as father, being filled with the spirit. And at the same time, he does things for us that we can't do for ourselves, i.e. he goes to the cross and he dies for us. He atones for our sins. He, He dies for us so that we don't have to die in that way so that we can receive new life and experience the life that we don't deserve but that he secured for us anyway. But there's this paradoxical uh, dynamic happening in that he does it for us because we can't do it for ourselves, but at the same time, he's modeling for us. This is what it looks like. And in the same way, we will have garden moments where we will come to a fork in the road and there will be times of anguish and prayer and, and, and wrestling and overcoming and, and feeling that, particularly in a city like Portland. And there'll be other moments where we will find ourselves leaving the garden feeling utterly alone, even though we may be surrounded by people who actually love us. How did Jesus do it? That's the question. How did he keep moving forward in the midst of soul-crushing loneliness? The fear of ending up alone can drive us to some of the darkest places imaginable. While I was praying this week, preparing for this sermon, I felt like the Holy Spirit kind of prompt me. And th- these words kept rolling around in my mind. And I felt like some of you have been hearing uh, this in your mind. Or you've been telling yourself this over and over and over. I'm just tired of being alone. I'm just tired of being alone. I'm tired of feeling alone. I'm tired of waking up alone. I'm tired of drifting through crowds and quote unquote church family 
and yet feeling alone, alone in my soul. I'm exhausted, and I just want it to stop. And I think this morning, God wants to help all of us to overcome that and to never walk alone again. Because we're not meant to walk alone. How did Jesus endure? How do we find wholeness during seasons of feeling alone? Now, quickly, some of you might be thinking, I, I, I got it. I got the answer. Um, I've thought this myself. Um, I met my wonderful, amazing, lovely wife when I was 32. I'd waited eight years. You guys have heard me say this before. Eight-year dry spell. That's a, that's, that's a long, that's a lonely road. And I remember thinking towards the end, God, you just, if, it is not good for man to be alone. <laughs> Holding you to your word. That's a Genesis 2.18, in case you forgot God. It's not good. I need a wife. I need a spouse. And then everything will be fine. I will never, ever feel alone again. You know, there's no loneliness like feeling like laying next to the person you love with all your heart, your best friend in this world. But you're going through some stuff and perhaps you had a pretty unpleasant conversation before bed and now you're lying there next to each other and you feel like you're the only person on the planet. Marriage is not the answer. Marriage is a gift, to be sure, and I would no way want to marginalize the, the sacredness and the gift that marriage is, but it's not the solution to loneliness. It can't be. Because if you know how the story went, God did give the man a partner. And what did he do? What was the first thing that he did? He made an idol out of her. He chose her over listening to and trusting God. He immediately made an idol out of his partner. We can do the same thing very, very easily if we think that the answer to the loneliness I feel in my soul is another person. I'm not called to love my wife because I have a need that I need her to fulfill. I love her because I just love her. I have to. <laughs> Legally. <laughs> yeah. Some of you, um, you, won't, you won't get married, perhaps. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'm not saying, like, decisively. <laughs> <clears throat> but it's possible. It's possible that some of you might be called to, to a life of celibacy, um, like Jesus, like the Apostle Paul. And the thought of that, I know, is like, that, that, that's, please, just stop. Don't say it. Don't say it out loud. That terrifies me. I, I get that, 100%. Terrified me. And I was like, God, please don't give me the gift of celibacy. Just please, I'm begging you. But what if, what if you did? What if you did? Does that mean you just, you just have to wait till eternity comes? No, absolutely not. Because we can walk like Jesus walked and experience the same level of intimacy that he had with his heavenly father and his friends. 
Let me, I want to show you guys something. This is, this is so incredible. Talking about how Jesus endured on the lonely road, how he overcame, how he resisted uh, the, the temptation to, to sort of relapse or default to destructive behavior. How did he resist from, from making an idol out of his, his partner or something like that? How did he do it? How did he get to the cross? How did he endure and overcome? That's the question. In Mark chapter one, guys, you gotta see this. This is so incredible. Mark chapter one is when Jesus was baptized. This, goes, this takes us way back to the beginning. He was baptized. In that moment, the Holy Spirit descended upon him and God the Father spoke to him audibly, you are my beloved son and I am pleased with you. Then he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. So the Spirit drove him or led him into the wilderness where he was then tempted by Satan for 40 days. After overcoming that temptation in the wilderness, he then returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. So he was led by the Spirit and he went out. He came out by the power of the Spirit. Exodus. Because this, this whole passage is just rampant with parallel. Exodus, we read of the, the, the crossing of the Red Sea. Paul writes in his first letter to the Corinthians that this is like a a picture of baptism. That when God's people, Israel, crossed the Red Sea, where'd they end up? In the wilderness. It says that the cloud that covered them went before them and led them into the wilderness. So for not 40 days, but for 40 years, they were tempted in the desert. After coming out of the wilderness... God spoke to their then leader, Joshua, and he said this in Joshua chapter one, verse five. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. For just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land, the promises I swore to their ancestors to give them. And then he says in verse nine of that same chapter, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Baptism, the wilderness, coming out on the other side, the lonely road, How did Jesus do it? The answer is that he wasn't alone. Like Joshua, who led his people, God's people, into the the promises that he'd made their fathers, Jesus was to lead the whole world into the promise, the cosmic promise of God, that we would all experience salvation, that we would all know what it's like to be fully alive, fully human, walking in relationship with our creator, our father, and each other. That was the great promise. That was the grand promise of God, that he would bless the world through this one family. And that's what we're a part of. How did Jesus do it? Jesus was able to endure because he wasn't actually alone. I... 
I was in Israel a few years ago, um, several years ago now, and we were in the old city. We walked through the valley up to the uh, Mount of Olives. It's a hill. Somewhere on that hill, there was a garden called Gethsemane. There's still a bunch of olive trees up there. I don't know that anyone knows for sure where the garden was. Of course, there's little signs for all the tourists there. After our, and we were, it was like in the middle of the night. It was around midnight. We were walking. After we left the garden, we cut down across through the Kidron Valley, which is where you'd go if you're walking back into the old city. And the moon was full. When Jesus was walking back through the Kidron Valley as he was arrested and being taken back into the city, he would have cut across the Kidron Valley and the moon would have been full. We know that because the Passover was always celebrated um, on the first full moon after the vernal equinox. That's when they celebrated Passover, the first full moon after the fall equinox. And so they would have been walking through this valley in the middle of the night with the moon shining, this is what we did. We actually stopped off at Zachariah's tomb. The ancient prophet Zachariah is buried there. It's an above-ground tomb. Remember, we sat down, had a little Bible study there under the moonlight. There were giant millipedes, the big black ones, crawling all over the place. It was surreal. It was, yeah, freaky to be sure, but it just felt like, what is happening right now? How can this be real? I cannot help but imagine that when Jesus was walking down through that little valley he had to have been reciting Psalm 23 to himself we sang it this morning can we read it together right now can we go to the next slide please feel free to read along the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want he makes me to lie down in green pastures He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus wasn't alone. Jesus was never alone. Not before the garden. Not after. As he walked that dark valley under the light of the moon, even then he knew he was not alone. Although his friends had abandoned him, although he would be ultimately rejected three times, even though it would seem all of his disciples had completely misunderstood or just in the moment chosen to disregard his like core tenets of teaching, to love your enemies. He was utterly alone. And yet he wasn't. He wasn't. Our 
Heavenly Father calls us to walk with him, to know him, to enjoy him and find deep satisfaction in being present with him, especially in seasons of life when we find ourselves walking the lonely road. Our God paid the ultimate price to make it so. Betrayed by Judas, disregarded by his disciples, abandoned by all of his friends, even the angels, I would say, and ultimately rejected three times by Peter. But it didn't stop there. Because when he finally made it to the cross, some of you know where this is going. When Jesus finally made it to the cross and hung there for 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. is what we're told. The last words to come out of his mouth. Not Psalm 23, but the first verse of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, he experienced true and utter loneliness. And because he was forsaken, you are not and never will be. You may say to yourself, I feel lonely. I've been feeling it for a little while. Every week, I can barely even force myself to come into this room because there's nothing that feels more lonely when I'm in a room full of people that are supposed to be making me feel like I'm with family. And it's hard to be here because deep in my soul I feel alone. And you're telling me that a Bible verse is supposed to fix that? You want me to believe that a Bible verse is supposed to fill this hole in my soul? so that I can leave here not feeling lonely anymore? Are you high or just cruel? And I would say to you, and I would say to myself, that because he was forsaken, you are not, nor ever will be. Because he was forsaken, you are not. And you may feel alone, In fact, God may even have led you to a place where you are walking the lonely road. And I want to tell you from the bottom of my soul that it's not an accident and you're not alone. And perhaps God is wanting to teach you how to get what you need, not from someone else who can't ultimately give it to you, but from him, from your heavenly father, from God himself, so that you can overcome so that you don't need to manipulate someone else to get something from them that they're looking for for themselves. And God is leading you down a road. It's painful. I've been there. I go back occasionally. God may be leading you down a hard, lonely road because he wants to teach you how to walk with him and know that because he was forsaken, you are not, you are not alone. Can we stand together, please?
now listening to Grace City Portland.